0: Part of the Media Ministry of Cornerstone Church, you can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. I may be sitting just a little bit today, uh, not feeling super well, but uh, I've never been able to sit all the way through a sermon in my life before, so maybe today will be that first day. Okay, we're gonna, about to divide everybody in two groups this morning. Um, how many of you, when you go to see a movie, by the time that that movie is done, you really want it to kind of be tied up in a little bow, you want the whole plot to be fully explained, and there's just this natural ending that comes, so that when you complete watching that film, you're going, okay, now it all makes sense. Or, are you the type that likes the movie's... That leaves you, even as the closing credits go out, you're going, hey, wait, I don't know that it explained everything. Now, how many of you are like the first type that you want everything done? You want to watch a movie and you want it to end when it says the end, okay? How many of you are the other type? You're going, you know, I kind of like the challenge of still not knowing. Well, the ones that just raised their hands to that latter question, you're going to love this passage. Because there's going to be a lot of questions that we simply do not answer about this. uh, Because it's just, I don't really know that we have a firm grip to be able to say, hey, we have nailed this down. This whole passage here is challenging, uh, not because it's, you know, just hard to understand, but because, uh, and not that it's incomplete, none of God's word is incomplete, but it's because it really deals with an area that we're a little bit, um, I guess we see both sides of. It's about faith. It's about healing. talks about anointing with oil. And, and when we get into those things, some people begin to, uh, let me just say it as theologically as I know how, freak out. They, because, you know, when they begin to think, okay, you're going to lay hands on me, you're going to rub oil on me and all this. A lot of people just, they don't know how to, to, to deal with that, even though it's right there in the Bible. And they go, okay, maybe that was just something for a long time ago. But, you know, we have doctors for that now, Pastor. So is this still current? Is this still something that we're to do? And so we're going to explore that a little bit. I, I would tell you, especially in, in prompting to that first question, you will probably leave here today with more questions than we answered. Okay, it just, it's the nature of this kind of text. And if you're one of those that likes everything tied up in a little bow, you're going to be a little bit strained because it's one of those, I don't know that we can even biblically come to some conclusive answers on some of these things. And we see this even has different denominations and different people practice this. We some, see some denominations uh, actually building some of their liturgical doings on this passage. We see others that say, hey, you know, this opens up the doors for all kinds of different things. Maybe as you're flipping the channels at 3 o'clock in the morning, you've actually seen some TV shows where TV preachers are healing people. And you're going, okay, now why do they have to hit them on the head in order for, you know, for, for that, to, you know, what is this all about? And and for somebody who's not really, basically like all of us, that's not super familiar with that culture or that background, it can really come off very strange. And so I realized that this morning. And a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm kind of a learned person, and I don't know that, you know, Bobby, isn't this just kind of a form of Christian witchcraft? I've been asked that before. Isn't this kind of like a Christian kabuki that you kind of go out there and you're doing us? guys, there's answers here. And I believe that we will leave with three things. Whenever I come upon a passage that I kind of, you know, don't know uh, really how to package it, I always come back to what what does it tell me that I know for sure. Uh, With Revelation, I've preached through Revelation, I've taught through Revelation, and everybody always wants very specifics when it comes to Revelation. When is the second coming? Are we going to be there? Are we going to be raptured out? And all these different things. And I have my opinions, and I base those opinions on the Word of God. At the same time, guys, when I preach the Revelations, I always start with these three things. Here's the only three things that I know for sure about Revelation. He is coming back. The saved are secure. We can't lose our salvation. It's based on the work of Christ, and we have a job to do until he comes back. Now, there's a whole bunch of other things I believe about Revelation, but those are the three things that I know for sure, without a doubt, that we can just say, okay, no matter what your interpretation of this symbol or this or whatever, if this is real or symbolic, these are the three things that we can know for sure. And and today, we're going to do pretty much the same. Uh, You're going to leave here with three things I believe that we can, as Christians, based on the word of God, not opinion, not uh, denomination, not feelings, that we can say, without a doubt, these three things we know. Because they are true by the word of God. So, with that in mind, open up your Bibles to uh, James chapter five. This will be our last. We've been going through several several months of uh, going passage by passage through James, and this morning we're going to talk about uh, these these last uh, few verses there, specifically looking at verses thirteen through eighteen. Um, it is a, a passage I'll tell you right up front that is ex- uh, ignored by many Christians and explored by many Christians. When I say explored, uh, they think that there's something secretive there, almost like the book of Revelation. Like, okay, if we can just get the right key to this whole healing thing, we can make sure that everybody's healed. And again, I don't know your denominational backgrounds. I don't know all your backgrounds. Uh, I have friends that are charismatic that believe very much that healing is a part of almost every service that they do. I believe in spiritual healing and, and physical healing that God brings. I, I'm, I'm firm in that belief. But, but I don't know that I'm really going to go down to a certain crusade and stand up there and let somebody hit me on the head. And I'm not making fun of that. I'm just saying, me personally, that's kind of where I am. And, and so I have as many questions as I have answers this. And I hope that it's not going to be frustrating, but I would hate to give you an answer based on thought or opinion or feeling that you could not ground in the word of God. That would be irresponsible for me as a pastor. Uh, If you want to have my opinion on some of these things, we can always talk afterwards. I love the discussion of those things, but I would never be able to preach with clarity and and with uh, the fullness unless it's based on God's word. So kind of given that parameter, that disclaimer up front, let's kind of go in here and and jump into uh, um, this passage uh, I believe it is a relevant uh, passage uh, I believe that all of God's word is scripture <laughs> that God breathed useful um, I also believe that we should never add anything to it and, and this is a passage that a lot of people will add their own little touch to and their own little theological you know happenings to. Um, on many occasions, I have been with deacons. I've called deacons to, to come to a person at their request to anoint them with oil. We have done that many times in my former church. Uh, they would say, you know, we're, we're sick. We have this dilemma. I've been in hospital rooms. I've been in, uh, there at the church. So it is something that I've practiced before, and I believe that it is relevant to practice this. If we had a sick person among us, and the Bible makes it clear, is at their request. They are the one that kind of initiates that. Uh, I would gather the elders of our church, and we would go, and we would do what is biblical. And yet, when we begin to do that, people begin to, to think, okay, is there something... Like, I, I know one time, they said, where do I go get the special oil? I didn't have the answer for it. You know, They didn't cover that in seminary. I was going to... Uh, Special oil store? I, I don't know. Lifeway? I don't know. You know? And uh, I actually asked a friend about it because I was young in the ministry at that time. And he said, you know, that, that it, yes, there are some, you can go into a Christian bookstore and, and get special anointing oil. But uh, somebody actually used the, the liquid form of Crisco one time. And they, they thought that that was perfectly fine. And if you're wondering if I think that's perfectly fine, I do. Because what we're going to find as we get into this passage, it's really not about a secret oil. It's not about a secret prayer. It's not about a secret anything. It's all about the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's all about what he's already done and what God is calling us unto. And yet this is so relevant because who hasn't had sickness, illness, dilemma in their life? But they really did want supernatural healing. The doctors had already said, there's there's not much that we can do. And at that point when all of human resources were exhausted, that, that we turn to God. I, I think that's unfortunate in and itself, that after all human resources were exhausted, then we go, okay, God, maybe you have something up your sleeve. No, this is not a passage that we use as last resort. I truly believe it's a passage that probably should be practiced much more than, than, than what it is. But what is it? Let's look. James chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. Notice that there's three questions that James asks. Is any among you suffering? And that word suffering is all-encompassing. He's not just talking about physical. That could be emotional. It could be financial. It could be that. He's using a very generic word there in the Greek. He's not talking specifically at this point about physical sickness. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. James asks three questions there and, and he basically gives three directives with each one of those questions. First question, is among you a suffering? And he gives them a directive. Let them pray. And he says, are you cheerful? And sing praises. Cheerful heart, you sing praises. We just sing some praise... to to the Father, and we just sang uh, out, uh, especially after a Thanksgiving week. Maybe uh, some of those words took on more meaning than than other times, and and we, we see that. But it's this third one that sometimes we kind of make the focal point of the whole passage, and I don't know that that was necessarily James' intention. He just wanted one question to be the focal point. Just ask one question. Don't ask three. What do you ask three? But it's this third one. Is any among you sick? Let me call elders, let them pray over, anointing with oil. If you read all through this passage, what you're going to find is this is not about healing as much as it is about praying. The, the real emphasis here is not just on a healing or a way, a means of healing, but it's a call to prayer. Uh, verse 15 talks about a prayer of faith. Verse 16, pray for one another. Verse 17, the example of Elijah and how he prayed fervently for it not to rain. And for three and a half years it didn't rain. Verse 18, and then he prayed again, and it began to rain. Prayer is the consistency. And one of the things that we do when we come upon some passages that are a little bit troubling, uh, and that we just can't seem to nail it down, but we try to look at what is the consistent message that is coming through here. And this one would not be healing, folks. It would be praying. Okay. The other problem with this passage is that there's really not a parallel passage to go with it. A lot of times what, what we're taught in school, what you are hopefully taught uh, when you are studying the Bible, is if you come upon a passage that has question about it, then you go to other passages that speak about the same thing. For example, uh, I just told you in Revelation there's three things that I know for sure, and one of those is that the saint is preserved. That is, that we can't lose our salvation. You can say once saved, always saved. You can say it a lot of different ways. I truly believe in that biblical principle. Why? Because it's not in just one place. It's throughout the Bible. It's throughout God's Word. That because the work was accomplished by Christ, it's not me falling away. All His work would have to fall away. And I truly believe that when we truly commit, not just go to church, not just get wet in some baptistry, but when we truly have trusted Christ as our Savior, It is one of those things that God will see it all the way through. But we see that in a lot of different places in the Bible. I can give you five or six, seven different passages, different contexts, where it would bring us to that same conclusion. This healing, this anointing with oil, only place we see it. I mean, we see anointing in the Old Testament, but it's a king. It's somebody being a priest, being set apart. And so we're going, okay, what does that have to do with healing? Really nothing in one sense. And there's not another passage that we can go to and say, okay, ah, that clears it up. Because over here in Paul's writing, Paul said this, and Peter said this. No, James is the only one that really says this. And he says enough to make us curious, but not enough to say, okay, man, we've nailed this thing down. And that's the real challenge of this text. Is this a spiritual prescription for healing, or is it something else? And if it is something else, well, what else is it? And so we begin to look at this, and we begin to to break it apart, and we begin to say, okay, what is this all about? And we begin to read on, verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, if you've been with me for verse 13 and 14, now you read verse 15. Are you more confused, or did that shed light on it? Because what did he just introduce along with sickness? You can say it out loud. Yeah, yeah, and sinfulness, and that you can come back for that. You know, the answer of that is, all of a sudden, okay, and then so the first thing, and this is what some people have done with this, they have made illness and sickness a factor of sinfulness. Now, basically, it is true that all illness does come from sin. Okay? But it's big sin. Genesis 3 sin. When God made everything perfect, there was no sickness before that time. Adam and Eve were perfect, perfect in health, perfect in every way. They would have lived forever. Okay? There was no death. There was no decay to the bodies. Uh, People have always wondered, okay, since God created them, what did their bodies look like? perfect. I don't know if that's 18 years old, 21 years old. I can assure you it's not 54 years old. I can assure you that I, I, I don't know what it is, but I know what it's not. <laughs> and they would have been like that forever. And yet when sin and rebellion came into their life, the body, everything started to fall apart. The world started to fall apart. All those things, that chaos that we talked about last week came into this world. And part of that chaos is sickness to us. Death began in us. Well, here we have James saying, all of a sudden talking about his prayer of faith and save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, well, we've all committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Is he saying that all sickness is from sin? I don't believe that's the connection he's trying to make. It's a complex passage. Interesting, curious. But what is it that we can know for sure as we begin to introduce these things? Because, you know, I've had people... Come up. Remember Job's friends. Remember Job when he got sick. He lost his sons and his daughters. He lost all of his animals. He lost uh, everything. And and what does his three best friends come up and say? What have you done? Because it, it just it couldn't. It, they could not imagine Job and all of his prosperity. I mean, he truly was. Uh, the Bible tells us a righteous man, a man after you know that, that loved God. They couldn't imagine that a loving God would bring this kind of catastrophe to a godly man. And honestly, guys, have have you not wondered that in your own life? That some of the deepest hurts that you've ever seen in your life have happened to some of the most godly people that you know? And and there's a part of us that says, well, that's not, not that fair. And, and, and maybe we didn't go to where Job's friends went because they just went and they basically just said, hey, Job, look, you've hid it from everybody else, but, you know, go ahead and confess it, brother. Get over this and, and God will start to restore. And, and the Bible makes it very clear. It was not because of Job's sin that, that all this catastrophe came. Was he a sinner? Yes. But it wasn't because he had sinned. He didn't go do this or do that. And all of a sudden God said, okay, because of that, here's what I'm going to do to you. And yet you and I live in a world where we really do think that sometimes because of this, God does that. And are there occasions, let me go ahead and share my theology, are there occasions that sickness comes into our life because of sin? I I would agree that there are times, but it is not carte blanche, it's not across the road. You could be the most holy person in this congregation and yet have sickness deeper than anyone else. So James must not be saying, okay, all sickness is from sin. And yet some people draw that from this passage. It would have been a lot easier, even in that verse, if he would have said, okay, in a prayer of faith will save some. But is that what it says? If he would have just put the word some there, then we could say, okay, that was one of the ones that God saved. But this is the one of the ones that didn't. And all of a sudden we would kind of have a rest in our hearts, in our minds, in that challenge. But Here he says a prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. What is this prayer of faith? And this is where theologians have kind of tried to find the magical key. They've tried to find, okay, what is this prayer of faith? Because if this prayer of faith is that powerful, then I want to know this prayer of faith. Is it certain words? Is it a matter of heart, a mind? How many of you so far are more confused now than you were when you came in? It's okay to say yes. It's a tough passage, guys. And theologians have been looking at this for 2,000 years, and yet nobody's written a book, book all the answers to the problems of James. You know, nobody's, I would have read it, and that's what you would be hearing this morning. Okay? But, but th- these are dilemmas. So what do we know for sure? Instead of, I hope it doesn't bother you that we're not going to try to solve every one of those questionable things. Because even if we had to six o'clock tonight, we wouldn't be able to even begin to to uncover some of those things. So here's what we're going to do with our time as we go through this passage. Since there's a lot that we can't know, what are some things that we can know for certain? Not so much try to uncover and, and unlock every mystery of the things we can't know. Because there's neither the time nor the intellect to be able to do that. But what can we know? Number one, what can we know? We know that God can but does not always heal every human hurt. Would you agree that that is a solid truth that we can base biblically? Not just our emotions, not our feelings, not what we want God to be. Is this true about God and what God would say about himself? Yes. And, And we can point to times when God truly could have healed, but he didn't. Maybe the poster boy for this is the example that I use the most often. But the poster boy for this is Paul. And it seems like about every tenth sermon I bring up the time that he prayed for this thorn to be released. He wanted this thorn to be gone from him. That's in Second Corinthians 12, 8, 9. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he, that is God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul says, did I plead with God for healing? Yes. If this was a physical, mental, spiritual matter, he said, yes, I pleaded. And that word plead in the Greek is a very strong word. This wasn't, hey, if you feel like it, God, will you take this from me? No, this was a pleading. This is on your knees crying out to God, will you take this thorn from me? three times he says that he has pleaded with God to do that and yet he says, but God said no. And one of the first questions we have to ask ourselves here, do we believe that good that God could have taken that thorn away? Okay. That's in the character of God. we kind of have to come back like good could God have done it? yes. So if he didn't is it because of Paul's sin? Did we read verse 15 in there? This is talking about faith. Hey, if you have the faith, you can be healed. Any of y'all want to try to put your faith up against the Apostle Paul's faith? I mean, if, if the Apostle Paul is doomed, then guess what? We're all doomed. If that's the measure of faith that didn't measure up, guys, then really, you and I are going to kind of measure up? Yeah, that Apostle Paul, he was a weakling compared to that Bobby Winkus. Man, that guy's faith. There's the measure of faith. Now, who are we fooling here? And and so there had to be a a, uh, a purpose. But it makes us ask questions like, is God uncaring? You know, no. We believe that God could heal. But Paul even begins to recognize that God had another plan. Very important point here. Do not miss this, guys. There are going to be times in your life that God can do healing, whether that's a financial matter, a physical matter, a mental matter. God can. God can do anything. There will be times that God won't. And some of those, it may be because of persistent sin. It may be because of this, that, and the other. But not categorically so. But I can promise you this. God always has a plan and a purpose. There's nothing in your life, nothing in your life... Is left to luck and chance. If you're a believer in Christ, you are not at the whim of the winds of the world. Well, I just hope I get lucky on this one. Guys, sovereign God. Everything, everything under His purposes and His plan. doesn't mean that we can't rebel against that plan just like in Adam and Eve. But He has a plan for every part of our life. He really does. And so God doesn't do anything you know, that's just, you know, kind of out there. He, God doesn't sit there and go, okay, because you did this, I'm going to do that. He knows all things. Time is not a factor. And that's the hardest part about dealing with theological things, is that we try to put God on our level and say, okay, God, this is what I would do. God doesn't have to obey that. You and I this week reacted to a lot of different things. Something happened, and then we reacted. And so we changed our plans could have been over Thanksgiving dinner. Your mom calls up, hey, we're going to meet at one, but because of this, we're going to meet at three. We reacted. Why? Because we had new information. So we made plans accordingly based on that new information. God never does that. If God truly is all knowledgeable of all things, and that is one of His characteristics, if He truly has all knowledge, He is never reacting to a situation on earth. There's nothing unknown that's unfolding to God that God has, oh, God never has one of those moments. You and I have those moments all the time. Oh, God never does. And, And so we begin to see this and we begin to see that God can heal, but he doesn't always choose to heal every human hurt. But he's never without a plan and a purpose. Second thing that we can know, I I believe that we can know for sure about this, is that the character of God is to teach, not to tease. Let me explain that. God owes you and I nothing. I know that hurts a lot of people's feelings, but God doesn't need you. He desires you, He loves you, you are precious and, and special to Him, but He doesn't need you. Because you believe in God doesn't make Him more God. If nobody ever believed, he would still be God. Now, I and you are different. All of a sudden, Carly didn't love me and didn't want to be my wife. That would certainly affect me. And so that would change in the relationship that we have. So I am dependent upon somebody else. God is not dependent upon you. To be God, he doesn't have to have you and I singing songs, opening up his word, and praying to him. He doesn't need that. He desires it, but he doesn't need it. And because of that very nature, I don't believe that it's in the nature of God for him to tease us. Now, now Bobby, what does this have to do with teasing here? Some people have taken this passage and they turn it into a measure of faith kind of thing. And do we need to have faith? Yes. Does God honor faith? Yes. But is there a faith scale and only if you hit 7.5? I mean, let's be a little practical, guys. You're, you're praying for a situation and you pray and pray. And if God said, okay, 7.5 is where you get healing. And we got exhausted at 7.4 and we stopped praying. I mean... It, Remember that commercial I talked about a couple of weeks ago that I think it's an Allstate or State Farm and the guy's in the fisherman thing and he's got the, the, the dollar bill at the end of the fishing rod and the girl goes to grab it and, and he moves it. See, that's what it would make God. That healing is right there and healing's right there and you're praying, Aaron, but you're one prayer away and he goes, Oh, you almost had it. That is not my God. It's not a God who sent His only Son to die in my place for I sinned. He owed me nothing and He gave me everything. This is the nature of God. A God who reveals Himself. A God who gives Himself to us for His glory, but also for, for us to have something that we ne- could never have. And so I don't believe that it's in the nature of God that we would read this passage and say, okay, if you only have enough faith, oh man, you were one prayer away. Oh, if you could have just had three more people praying. You had 30, but the magic number is 33. But if it's not 33, is it 50? Do you see how that goes? If we try to use some of that reasoning, that somehow this is a test of how many people can pray and how much and how deep we can pray, it makes God really become a God who's kind of hanging something out there. And it's only upon our performance that we would get an answer. But guys, that's not how salvation is, is rigged up. It was all on Christ. And I don't believe this, how healing is rigged up. Do we need to have faith? Yes, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I'm so glad that we can look at other passages and, and see what God says about faith. He says that faith is something, you know, uh, in Hebrews 11, one he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We love that. But does he ever say, okay, you better get a 7.5? No, Christ said kind of just the opposite. Christ said, if you have a mustard seed of faith, then you can move mountains. Now, what was the context that he said that in? The disciples had been, were sent out. They were sent out to do healings and different things like that. And they came back and they said, hey, we were able to do some of those, but there was this one guy. We were not able to, to exercise the demons out of this one guy. What happened? Did we not say the right words? Did we not? And they try to come down to something, you know, on that linear fashion that they could just think of. And Christ said, no, you, you had a little faith. In fact, in Matthew 17, 19 through 20, it says, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Talking about this demon and this, and this person. And he said to them, because of your little faith. Well, if we stopped right there, then we think, okay, we have to have big faith. 7.5 on the scale. 33 people praying. Read the rest of it. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Is he making it a measurement or is he making it a matter of the heart? I'm honored, but also embarrassed when people say this. So if you've said this before, I, it's not an angry thing or anything, but, well, Pastor, we want you to pray because we know your prayers are heard. And, and, I, and I get that. I get that. But my heart breaks every time I hear that because I'm going, man, if you know how to just even utter a word to God, He hears that and He blesses that. And especially if you're a saint, the priesthood of the believer You don't need a pastor. You don't need a person. You can go straight because of the finished work of Christ. You go straight to our loving God. And the throne room of God is open to you. And you may not have the words to say. You may not be able to say fancy little theological things. But if your heart is open to the loving God, it's a mustard seed and it moves mountains. And I promise you that some of the most simple prayers have been heard by a mighty and holy God more than any kind of sanctimonious prayers some pastor said. I promise you. So what can we know? That God is using this to teach us. To teach us what? To teach us faith. You've got to have faith, but in order to exercise faith, I believe that you really get an increase in faith. And that there's going to be many times in our lives that uh, that we find that we are utterly dependent upon God and there, there is no other answer. But isn't that the truest form of faith is that when we don't have any other answers? Guys, can you show 11, uh, Hebrews 11, 1 again? I mean, isn't that what the description that the writer of Hebrews gives to us? Now, faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for. We're getting it. It's right after that. There goes. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for hope for, the conviction of things not seen. Not the conviction of things seen, then it's not faith. That's why I said last week, you're not going to need faith in heaven. When you pack your bags for heaven, guys, one thing you don't have to put in there is the actual measure of faith. Because the Bible says you will see him as he is. And I've never seen God. I've seen the work of God. I've never even heard God audibly. I've heard God speaks to me every day. You hear God. I don't know if you've heard him audibly. I, I haven't. That's where faith comes in. When God puts something in your mind and your heart that you're just convinced of. And so that's what I believe that he's teaching here is that when we have this prayer of faith, what, what does it take more faith, guys? To see somebody healed or to trust God when the healing doesn't come? Which one really requires more faith? I pray to earnestly... For my dad to be healed. Prayed earnestly. And my mom prayed in her church. And many churches prayed. And what a cruel, cruel thing it would be. if We got to heaven one day. And God said, oh, you were at 7.49. And I wanted to kind of wave, you know, give you the curve there. And give you a 7.5. Because that was the magic number. But you didn't get it. You were one prayer away. What a cruel God. It's not a loving God. That's a cruel God. But that's not my God. Just take more faith to say, okay, God, your will be done. To trust what we cannot see. That's an incredible faith, guys. And that's where we struggle because there's every human emotion uh, when it's a dad, a friend, and they've been given this, this, you know, the doctor said there's not much that we can do. That's just sad. And every human emotion says, okay, we want healing to take place. And yet that's what the ultimate teaching of faith is. God, I trust you, even though I don't see the purpose. And guys, this is, we've got to have the the Bible jump off the pages and into our lives. I mean, my hope and my prayer, to make it real personal, was that my my father would be there I said, the grandfather, in two weeks, as I walked my, my daughter down the aisle to get married, why would I not be praying to that end? And yet, when he passed, okay, God, did you let me down? Or, God, do I have an inherent faith that even though I cannot see this, I believe because who you are, you're a God who has a plan. And sometimes all we're going to have, guys, all we're going to have sometimes is the hope of the character of Christ and God, and we're not going to have any other earthly answers. And there's a part of that, human-wise, that stinks. Let's just call it what it is. It just stinks, because we want answers. But, but really, if God give you an answer, would you not start arguing with him? I mean, really, if God said, well, my reasoning is this, Job... And Job would come back, well, you know, why pick on me? Go to Fred. Go to go to this person. Go to, to this person over there. Why me? Last thing. What can we really know about this? A lot of things that we can't know. What we can really know. Number three, prayer matters. I can bore you to tears if I haven't already done it this morning. I can bore you to tears with the theological case of why pray when we have a sovereign God, I can get really intense with that. I love that discussion. If He's a sovereign God, He knows all things. The last thing He needs to do is be reminded by me, of you know the widow down at the end of the street. You know what I mean, and, and you can really start to run away with that in a logical way. And yet, God said prayers matter. I mean, James—not just this place, but but Abraham, we, we see that prayer does matter. what's the end result of a faith-filled prayer? And this may be the, the biggest question that you will answer this morning. Is prayer to change the desires of God or to change your desires? Ultimately, when you think of prayer and why God has instituted prayer, that is that we get to commune with Him back and forth in prayer, has that been set up? Has that communication been set up so that you and I have the ability to twist God's arm on some matters and change his mind? Or is prayer there so that God can change us? That may be the most important question that you answer this morning. Because it will change your prayer life. It will flatten out, change your prayer life. Verse after verse after verse uh, would back that up. Uh, such as Numbers twenty-three nineteen. God is not man that he should lie or the Son of Man, that He should change His mind. And I can give you verse after verse after verse that God does not change His mind. Then why pray? Because prayer wasn't there for me to twist God's arm. Prayer's there so that God can give me a peace that surpasses understanding. God is not in need of anything. I'm in need of a whole lot. And so when I pray, it's not, okay, God, let my dad make it to the wedding. I mean, I'm going to pray that. But if it's not answered, I can still believe that that's a faithful prayer. Because God is teaching me something. Prayer matters. Look what he says in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Uh, a Real fast side note, if you know all this, all this he's talking about life and community. He's talking to a church, and he's talking to people in church that are part of a body of believers. Time after time, he said, if there's one among us, you can't be among us if you're not there. And he says, okay, go get the elders. I guarantee you there's some people we can go down the street to, and they're going, okay, do you know these elders? And they're going, I don't know those elders. Why? Because they're not part of this body. Everything that we see about this passage is that we're going to be doing life in community with other believers. Whether it's this church or another church, that we're to do life in community. And we don't find anything else differently uh, throughout the, the whole Word of God. But he says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Kind of like the King James there. Because that's what I grew up in. On that particular passage, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. There you go. I know there were some other King, King James folks. We just learned it that way. Availeth much. Makes a difference. It's not pointless. It's not empty words. But the point isn't to change God's mind. The point of this prayer, God, will you change our heart? Will you give us understanding? Will you give us a peace that surpasses understanding? Because my need is peace in this situation. I'd love answers, but I don't know that I would even understand all the answers. I can tell you, as a pastor over the last thirty-five years, guys, I've come upon situations that there are no earthly answers for. So strange some of the most horrific things happening to the most godly people that I know. And you can't box that up. What a shame it would be to try to box up with, with a simple answer. That's why you just come back and say, God, we trust you implicitly. You're not cruel in this. You're just God in this. In a way, verse 16 seems to be very man-oriented. Prayers of a righteous man. I don't believe that's really what he's saying. Look at what he says, James, uh, verse 17 and 18. He gives an example of this righteousness. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it may not rain. And for three and a half years, or three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. That's taken from 1 Kings 17 and 18. And if you go back and look at that story of Elijah, I want you to realize this one big thing. Elijah didn't walk up one day and goes, you know, I just don't think it should rain for a while. And he didn't come up with this thought that I'm just going to pray that it stops raining. No, God had confirmed that he was going to withhold rain. Elijah was the spokesman. Elijah was the, the, the earthly representative that showed what God's will was. When God was ready to bring rain, he reveals that to Elijah. Elijah prays. He's that, that person on earth that God uses as, as a, uh, uh, to, to show God's will like he did the prophets, and it begins to rain. In other words, Elijah was not off on some tangent that God had not commanded. Elijah didn't pray for something that God had not already said was going to happen. So this prayers of a righteous person isn't okay if you're strong enough in your prayers You can change God's mind. It just doesn't. The Bible just doesn't say that. Here's the bottom line, guys. The ultimate lesson. Will I continue to lead the elders to anoint someone with oil at their request? Yes. Why? Because it's biblical. Do I understand all the the ramifications of it? No. Do we need to go down to a special store and get special ointment? No. That ointment is symbolic. I, I really do not believe that it has medicinal values. I don't believe that it's a sacrament that we're to do in a religious form. I think if somebody comes up and says, man, will you pray about this? And and, and I've done that before. I've I've led the church. I will continue in in my leadership to do that because it's biblical. Number two, will I continue to pray for God to bring miraculous healing to to situations? Yes. Because I don't know the will of God. And, And even when doctors have said there is no hope, will I pray along with others and gather others to pray God, our, our, our prayer is that you would heal this person, but ultimately your will be done. I'll continue to pray for healing. And I think it's 100% accurate for us to do that. But this prayer of faith, I believe, is okay, our faith is God, that we trust you with the situation so that even if there isn't healing in a earthly way, that we just still have that ultimate faith. That, God, your will was done. Third thing. Well, I encourage people, others, to pray for miracles. You better believe it. Because God is the God of miracles. This does not restrain our prayers. This encourages our prayers. But what it does, it does it without attachment of putting it all on your back. I mean, can you really, if you left here this morning and you think, okay, man, this prayer of faith and prayer of a righteous person, I'm not a righteous person, so I might as well not even pray. Can you imagine the weight of the world if it was your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, and their whole being rested upon your ability to pray a great prayer. There was only one person that ever had those shoulders to carry that. And he was Christ. And he carried to the cross He paid the full penalty for our sin, and He rose again on the third day. Your shoulders are not big. Are we encouraged to pray? Yes, keep on praying. But it's not on your shoulders. You're not that powerful of a prayer. I mean, if we start to believe that, we're going to attach all kinds of things. Okay, it has to be this special word. I'll pray in the Greek. Because God obviously understands that because that New Testament was written in Greek. I'll start praying in a holy language that only God can understand you see how we can start really getting off the point and how it puts the focus back on man and the focus is not on man we have one hope and he is Christ and in him what we can find hope for even those very hurtful situations friends family members that are hurting, pray for them. Pray for sin. Pray for miracles. But the prayer of faith, I believe, is that, God, I rest all this with you. And that's taking more faith than if you were to heal this person. Because in the, by not healing, I actually have more questions than if you healed. That would, that would be the easy thing. I just praise you, God, in that. But when you don't heal in the way that I prayed, God, that's challenged my faith, but that's that prayer of faith, where we just come back and we release it to God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, there may be some things that we need to release to you this morning, and I don't say that in some kind of a religious way, but, Father, that simply that we've held on. And, Father, we've been praying. We've been praying fervently and meaningfully. And, Father, you encourage that. This word tells us to pray toward these matters. And yet, Father, maybe our hands are still on this. And really, Father, the only way that we can ever see this coming out in a successful way is if you answer it in a certain way. And so, Father, today, will you you help us to have the faith, the faith of your Son, who did pray that this cup would pass from him, and yet immediately said, but not my will, thy will be done. That's the hardest prayer that we could ever pray. And yet, Father, that is the prayer of release. That is the prayer where peace becomes uh, a part of our lives. And all of a sudden, that peace that does pass understanding begins to fill our heart, our life, and the room where we exist. So, Father, today, if there's some things we need to take our hands off to continue to pray, to continue to pray for you to, to even work in a certain way, Father, help us to be faithful in that. But, Father, help us to release to your plan, your purpose. For you are good. And you are loving. And you are mighty. And you are holy. And let us rest in that. We love you, Father. Thank you today, Father, that you didn't make prayer some kind of mechanical thing where we have to pray 45 times these certain words and we have to march around the city and do this and that and all these things, Father. You said if we just come with broken hearts, trusting hearts before you, even with faith as a mustard seed, that we will see mountains move. And, Father, I would pray that even this morning, that mountains would move from our lives, our friends' lives, our family's lives, Because we are faithful in prayer. We love you, Father. We pray all this in the one who made it possible, Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.